0: Today I'm continuing a series talking about how you can take the limits off of God. This is something that has just revolutionized my life. This is one of the biggest things God has ever shown me, how I limited Him by my small thinking, by fear. I was talking about a fear of failure and a fear of people, a fear of men. And today I'm going to start talking about how that one of the ways that I limited God was by a fear of success. Now, a lot of people don't relate to this. There's a lot of people that think there's nothing to fear in success. Man, success means more prosperity, more acceptance, more influence, more all of these things. And they think all of this is wonderful. And uh, they just don't have any fear of success at all. But I did. This is taken from what God spoke to me January the 31st, 2002. And I tell you, it has revolutionized my life. And ministry and the impact that I'm making on people, it has been huge. And I'm just telling you that one of the things that I feared was that if I began to succeed and if we became to where we were having more influence, more people coming, more income, and more everything, I was fearful that that would destroy my relationship with the Lord. And I, again, know that there's not a lot of people that think the way that I do. And there's probably, you know, there's most people would think, well, man, bring it on. I don't care that much about my relationship with the Lord. I want all of these other benefits. But to me, the most important thing in my life is my relationship with the Lord, my walk with God. And I'm going to say some things here that it may take me a while to explain this, but I want, to, I want you to listen because this is really true. And I believe that most people don't see this as a potential problem. And because of it, they don't have any resistance. They aren't uh, prepared for it. But I believe that the Scripture teaches that more people have been destroyed by prosperity than they ever have been by hardship. I believe that prosperity is a greater test of our integrity and our relationship with God than hardship is. And when I'm talking about prosperity, I'm not just talking about financial prosperity, but I'm talking about acceptance. I'm talking about being honored and recognized. You know, right now, I'm at a position in my life where I'm not going to go into any specifics, but for decades, uh, Jamie and I have just lived in a... This isn't a complete absolute truth, but in a relative sense, we have lived in total obscurity. Uh, We didn't know anybody who was quote unquote famous. We didn't have the connections and the relationships that so many people had. And we have just lived in a way that honestly, it was our relationship with God that sustained us. We didn't have a mentor. We didn't have people supporting us and helping us. And we have been out there pretty much by ourselves. And one of the things that I feared when God showed me that our ministry was going to grow, and I mean it would have a worldwide impact and influence. One of the things that I I knew was that it was going to bring a lot of resistance and rejection and criticism, and I was prepared for that. But I wasn't sure if I was prepared for the acceptance And again, I could give you specifics. I'm not going to do it. This isn't about me. I'm just trying to use this as an example to get my point across. But I have been accepted and honored by people in the last few years in a way that uh, I have never been honored and accepted before. I could give you many specific examples of this, but Jamie and I have sat down and talked about it, that you know what? I have gotten to where I can handle criticism and I can handle persecution and rejection because I've had so much practice at it. But it's hard to handle this acceptance. I don't know how to act sometimes. And um, it's, it's startling to me. It's surprising to me, the honor and the things that God has been giving us. And this is one of the fears that I had back in 2002 when the Lord showed me that He was going to catapult our ministry to a new level, we were going to impact the body of Christ, make a major impact, be one of the major players in the body of Christ. When the Lord showed me that, I had a fear that these things would turn my heart away from the Lord, my dependence upon the Lord. And it's one of the things that I feared. Proverbs chapter 16 Verse 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This last week, I used Saul as an example. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 17, Samuel told Saul and said, when you were little in your own eyes, then God promoted you and exalted you. But then you got lifted up with pride and you came into destruction. And you can just replay this through nearly every major character in the Bible. I had not got time to explain this, but I believe that this is what happened with Moses when he got angry and hit the rock instead of speaking to it. He started exalting himself. He had seen so much success that instead of obeying God, he was going to do things his way. And it cost him going into the promised land. God said, because you didn't honor me in the sight of the people... He wouldn't let him go into the promised land. And I believe he was lifted up with pride and once again was going to do things his own way. David did this in 1 Samuel chapter 11. You can see that at the time that kings go forth to battle, well, David was the king. He should have been doing what God anointed him to do. But instead, at, at sunset, when other people were going to bed, David was getting up out of the bed, which means he was bored. He was sleeping during the day. He was so prosperous. He could send his generals to go fight his battles. He wasn't doing what he was called and anointed to do. And you know what? During prosperity, during success, David walked away from the Lord. And this is where he committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered Bathsheba's husband. Now, to David's credit, when he was confronted with it, he repented. God restored him And he went on and God still used him. He did recover from it. But nonetheless, I believe that there is a direct relationship between the prosperity and the success that David was enjoying. He wasn't seeking the Lord the same way that he was when he was under the gun and Saul was seeking to kill him every single day and he was in these hardships. You know, you could just ask yourself this. When do you pray the most? When do you study the Bible the most? I would say that the vast majority of people, 90% or more of the people study the Word the most when you are under pressure, when it looks like there is destruction ahead, when you have a financial crisis, a physical crisis, a relational crisis. And it's in crisis that most people get serious and seek the Lord. And then when prosperity comes, the average person begins to fall away from those things because, you know, everything's going so good and so you don't seek the Lord as much. You don't pray as much. I actually believe that more people have been destroyed by success and by prosperity than they have by hardship. In hardship, the average person will recognize that this is just beyond my ability. Oh God, I need help and you turn to the Lord and because of it, you prosper. But when things are going good, people aren't as dependent upon God. They tend to do their own thing. They tend to coast, thinking that they don't have any crisis. And man, that's destroyed a lot of people's relationships with the Lord. Uh, Elijah is an example of this. In 1 Kings chapter 17... Elijah came on the scene. He had a word from God. He delivered it to the king. God supernaturally protected him for three and a half years. He saw the widow's food multiplied. He saw the widow's son raised from the dead, the first person in the Bible to ever be raised from the dead. Happened under Elijah's ministry. And there wasn't a scripture that promised this. I mean, this is huge. This is huge. He was walking with God in such humility and dependence upon God that He multiplied a tiny bit of oil, a tiny bit of meal every day for three years. He raised the widow's son from the dead. And then He called all of the people together. He got the king together and He built an altar and challenged the prophets of Baal. And He says, let's build an altar, put an animal on it, wood there, but don't put any fire to it. And we're going to pray and let the true God answer by fire. And so... They did this and the prophets of Baal, they spent hours and hours cutting themselves, leaping on the altar, offering themselves as a sacrifice, calling on Baal to send fire and consume the sacrifice and nothing happened. But then Elijah just simply, he made his offering. He poured water on it and drenched the offering, the fire, and everything so that there would be no uh, suspicion that this was like spontaneous combustion, making it hard for God. And then he just prayed a simple prayer. The fire of God fell from heaven, consumed the sacrifice, the stones, everything. It was awesome, the supernatural fire of God. And an entire nation fell on their face and said, the Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. And right after that, he told Ahab, he says, you get into your chariot and head for Jezreel because the end of this drought is coming. I hear the sound of abundance of rain. He went up to the top of Mount Carmel. He prayed and God broke the drought and there was a mighty rain and Elijah was so excited. His adrenaline was flowing so much that even though Ahab had a head start and Ahab had a chariot, Elijah outran him over 20 miles to Jezreel and got there before Ahab. Elijah was pumped. Elijah had had a solid string of nothing but successes. And you know what? It went to his head. And in the 19th chapter, you see where Jezebel heard about how he had killed the 850 prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove. And she sent him a note and said, God do so to me and more also if I make not your life like the life of one of these prophets that you've killed by this time tomorrow. And it says when Elijah saw that, saw what? He saw himself dead like one of those prophets. And Elijah is the one that he'd killed, 850 prophets. Imagine this, if a man had a sword in his hand and killed 850 people, I guarantee you it would have had to have been a gruesome sight to see 850 bodies there, possibly parts of their bodies cut off. Gruesome. What an, what an image that had to have painted in Elijah's mind. And then he saw himself like one of those dead people. When he saw that, he ran from his li- for his life. Ran from a messenger with a note, a woman who threatened him. He had been so bold. But all of a sudden, he was so weak that he ran. And finally, he told the Lord, he says, take away my life because I am not better than my father's. Now that statement, let me just turn over and get the exact statement. This is in First Kings chapter 19. That statement says volumes. Because when he said 1 Kings chapter 19, let me read this to you. And in verse... For it says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for, the word for is a conjunction. Here's the reason he was willing to die saying, God, kill me, take away my life for here, because I am not better than my father's. You know what? He never was better than his father's. God's never had anybody qualified working for Him yet. God doesn't use us because we are perfect and deserve it. Man, you can turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, and it talks about, you see your calling, brethren, that there's not many mighty, not many noble, not all of these things. God chose the weak things of the world, base things of the world, things that are despised, things that are nothing, to bring to naught things that are The truth is God doesn't have anybody who can represent Him perfectly. I don't represent God perfectly. God is so infinitely greater than what I am. He doesn't use me because I'm a silver vessel, but because I'm a surrendered vessel. God uses me in spite of me. It's all about Him. And actually when God can use somebody like me and His power flows through me, people look at me and think, well, it can't be that Hick on television. It can't be Him. It has to be God flowing through Him. And God gets the glory. God has chosen to use weak and base things of this world so that when He flows through us, He gets the glory. So the truth is, none of us are better than anybody else. It's not who we are. It's who we represent. It's not us. It's the message. And Elijah had missed that. He had had an unbroken string of successes. Seen people raised from the dead, which nobody else in the history of the world had ever seen anybody raised from the dead. Called fire down out of heaven. Called for a drought. Ended the drought. Caused a revival. Killed all of the false prophets of Baal. The people turned to God. He was riding high and he got to thinking he was better than other people. You know what? Success corrupted Elijah, you know, again, I don't think that many people think this way, but I've seen these things in scripture and I realized that success and increased influence and in things, it, it can go to your head. It can change you. And I was actually fearful of success. I didn't want to lose my relationship with the Lord. I didn't want to get lifted up in pride. And this was a major, major concern to me. And, you know, because of that, uh, I was enjoying my anonymity. Now, again, going back to when the Lord first spoke this to me, this was January the 31st of 2002. At that time, we covered approximately 5 to 6% of the U.S. television market. And even though we were touching people and I was making an impact and, and God was using me and blessing me, I was pretty much under the radar. You know, when all of the ungodly come out and criticize people that are on television and preachers and, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. I was never one of those that was criticized because I just didn't have that much influence. They would go for the people that were making a lot greater impact, you know, bigger targets than me. And I was enjoying the fact that I didn't have to deal with these things. But now, did you know we have 100% coverage of the U.S. market and not only the U.S. market, but we have 3.2 billion people around this world that can get my program. I had my sister-in-law in India in an exercise room in a hotel and she was watching and there I was. I've had people at the South Pole get hold of my materials, people on any continent of this earth and I'm not saying those things to pat myself on the back. I'm just saying that God increased us. And because of that, you know, I can't go hardly anywhere without somebody coming up and recognize me. I was at the airport yesterday and I had three or four people that came up and recognized me and talked to me and told me about how that they had been blessed by the ministry. And because of that, I was just fearful that this increased recognition might somehow or another, you know, turn my heart away from God because I believe that there's examples of that just like I've used about Elijah. I believe that that's what happened with David. I believe that's what happened with Moses. There's just so many scriptures that talks about you got to walk humbly with your God and all of these things. And it's a lot easier to be humble when you aren't seeing success. <laughs> Amen. And so this is one of the fears that I have. Again, this... There may be many of you that don't relate to that because, man, you just are willing to accept all the accolades and everything. But to me, my relationship with God is more important than anything I could ever see or happen in the physical realm. And so this was a real fear. And, you know, basically, the way I dealt with this was 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. Perfect love cast out fear. And the Lord just spoke to me and He said, Andrew, I've been working on you For 34 years, I've been working in your heart and you just need to trust me. I want to use you. I want to advance what I'm doing through you and you are going to have to trust me. It came down to love. And he said, I've been preparing you for this for decades. Trust me. And, you know, here we are 12 years later and my ministry has increased I couldn't even tell you exactly, but at least 15 or 20 times the size it was 12 years ago. And we're seeing things happen. And I can truthfully say that my relationship with God is just as good as it's ever been. I'm still seeking the Lord. I get more out of Scripture than I ever have. I'm seeking the Lord. It has not turned my head. And I, you know what? I believe that I just had to trust God. So I'm sharing this in, in, in a sense like a part of my testimony. I'm not sure that there's a lot of people that fear success the way I did. But in case you do, in case you uh, recognize that God has destined you to do more than what you're doing and you're fearful about how this would affect you, affect your heart, and affect your relationship with the Lord. I'm telling you, you just have to trust the Lord. And I believe that God wants us to walk humbly with Him more than we do. And if you just continue your relationship with the Lord, continue to spend time with the Lord, I believe God will keep you humble. I believe that God will keep your head screwed on correctly and keep you from being lifted up with pride. It's also very important who you associate with. It really is. You know, I I know a lot of ministers, I'm not going to call their name, but for whatever reason, they just isolate themselves. They feel like they can't mingle with the common people, the ordinary people. And because of that, they live in a vacuum. They live in a secluded place. And I think that that's detrimental. One of the things that I believe keeps my feet on the ground and keeps my head screwed on straight is the fact that I still visit with people and I still talk to people. And I'm not any different than I was before. And I think that that's really important. You know, I was just at something this week. I'm not going to mention the names, but people that I mean are just a huge, huge success in the natural realm. I was at their place, and they have over 9 million square feet in their office complex, under roof. 9 million. That's just their corporate headquarters. That's not including the hundreds of stores and things that they have worldwide. Huge success. 2,200-plus employees. And did you know the people who did that? I was in a small gathering of people that had lunch with these uh, movers and shakers, people that are very well known. If I was to call their name, you'd know who they are. And, you know, we had this lunch. And the founders, the people who did this, the multimillionaires, maybe possibly potentially billionaires, I don't know. You know what? They were going around and serving the people that were there, desserts. They weren't just sitting down and waiting on everybody to serve them and stuff. They were serving other people as if we were the ones that were important. You know what? I think that that is awesome. I think that that's a godly thing to do. And I'm telling you, you have to be aware of the dangers of success, just the same as you do dangers of hardships and things like that. I believe more people have been ruined through success than have ever been ruined Through hardship, in Mark chapter four, it talks about that the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things enter in and choke the word of God. And this is one of Satan's most successful ways to limit what God can do: is to just get us lulled to sleep, where we're just sitting here and enjoying life. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying life, but we we lose our priorities. And you find that during extreme periods of prosperity that people get to indulging themselves in the cares of this life and the other things choke the Word of God and keep it from bearing fruit. And so uh, I believe that it's true in biblical and secular history that prosperity is probably a greater detriment to the spread of the gospel and of the things that God wants to do in your life than just about anything else. You can go back through church history and you can find that during times of persecution when people were being martyred for their faith, every single time the church grows. I mean exponentially. I actually heard a statement just in the last few weeks that the largest place of growth in the church right now, explosive growth is in Iran where people are being put to death for being Christians. But that there is an explosion of growth in the Iranian church. It may be underground. We may have a hard time quantifying it, but I heard a man, and again, I don't know that that's an accurate statement, but I heard a man saying that that's where the most explosive growth in the body of Christ has taken place. And this is consistent with history. You go through history, and when the church was persecuted, it grew exponentially. This is not because God puts persecution on us in hard times, and that's God's will. No, I believe God wants to bless us, but there are most people in prosperity, they just don't, they don't focus on God the way that they do during adversity. And it's a shame that we have to have hard things to make us realize that having a fifth flat screen TV isn't really what it's all about. It's a shame that somebody's life has to be threatened and hardship comes. But nonetheless, during these times, it helps us get our things back into priority, get our priorities straight And things work. So I'm saying all of those things to say that this is one of the fears that I had that limited God because I knew that with increased influence and success and growth and financial prosperity and recognition and honor and all of these things, there was a temptation there that I hadn't had to deal with before. I'd been under the radar And uh, I I mean, people were staying away from my meetings by the thousands. And I just didn't have to deal with these uh, issues of pride and things that come with success. And I was fearful of what it would do to me. Let me share some scriptures with you on this. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7 says, Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Boy, that is quite a statement right there written by Solomon, the man who God gave this supernatural wisdom. And in verse 8, he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Did you know there's not very many people today who would that, pray that prayer? That would say, don't give me too much. Don't give me too little. Just give me enough so that I'm not in need and not oppressed under that, but also don't give me so much abundance that I have more than what I can use. Well, there's not very many people that would pray that. And again, it's because in the next verse, he says, lest I be full and deny thee. It's because at the time of this writing, Solomon put his relationship with God above anything that it could produce. That's the reason he was saying this. And, you know, this is the fear that I had. I didn't want to get to a place to where I was swayed by the approval of people, the recognition, the acceptance of people and stuff. I valued my relationship with God more than anything else. And so that's the reason that Solomon prayed that. Did you know that the Lord spoke through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and basically told him these exact same things that I've been trying to express last week and then this week. Look at this in Deuteronomy chapter 8 in verse 10. It says, He was warning them that when you enter into this land that I'm giving you and you find fields that have already been cultivated, you didn't have to do it. Houses that are already built by giants, big houses. And when you have all of these things, remember that I'm the one who gave this to you. Don't take it for granted. Remember what it was like when you used to live in the deserts and things. So here's what he's saying, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he giveth thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping His commandments and His judgments and His statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up. And thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage." Notice what he's saying. He says, lest when all of this prosperity and success comes, you l- be lifted up. This is talking about pride. And you forget that God is your source. I tell you, this is just all through the Word of God. People who God would bless, and because He blessed them, prosperity became to, came to them. But then in their prosperity, they forgot that God was the source of that. They begin to start thinking that they had produced this. I tell you, back during the Second World War, Hitler and Japan nearly won the Second World War. It was at a tipping point. Things could have gone a totally different direction. This, the world that we live in today, this was an answer to prayer of so many people that we still have this freedom today in all of these things. And yet, we've got a lot of people that have been born since then that have forgotten this and don't remember these things, and they just think that somehow or another all of this prosperity and all of the freedom and the opportunity that we have today, it's just like everybody's always had this. It's not. It came at a price. And so this is what he's saying in Deuteronomy 8:14: says, "...then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents." And scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. And thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. I tell you, this is in epidemic proportions today. You know, Frank Sinatra and others that sing, I did it my way. And they think that they're the source of everything. I'm a self-made man or woman. Boy, that is arrogance to the max. And I tell you, that attitude abounds when there's great prosperity and success. But during times of hardship, you don't find people singing, I did it my way. You don't find people talking about being a self-made man. They humble themselves. They cry out to God and ask for His mercy. And the Lord is warning us against this. And because I was aware of these things, this is one of the fears that I had, that if my vision came to pass and if God really began to start increasing the influence that I had, that it would somehow or another change me. And this was a fear that I had to deal with. So again, in verse 17, "...and thou shalt say in thine heart, My power and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is He that giveth thee power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant, which He sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. And it shall be, if thou shalt at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish." As the nations which the Lord destroyed before your face, so shall ye perish, because ye would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. And you know, even though God will never leave us nor forsake us under this new covenant, that's the promise that we have in Hebrews chapter 13, still there is a principle here that applies to us. And that is that if we say in our heart, if we get lifted up in pride and think that you are somehow or another the source of all of your blessings... And if you don't recognize God as your source, then you will perish just like all of the people that have gone before us who got lifted up with pride and fell into destruction. I tell you, you have to guard against this. And this is one of the fears that I had, a fear of success turning my heart away from the Lord. In Second Chronicles chapter 26, verse 16, it says, But when... He was strong. His heart was lifted up to his destruction for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went to the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. This is talking about Uzziah the king. And this king was, he started out very humble. He sought the Lord and he saw great things happen. He put the idols out of the country. He turned to the Lord. God blessed him. He was a success in Uh, in campaigns, in battles. And I mean, God just blessed Uzziah in a supernatural way. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up and he stepped out of the office of being the king and he stepped over into trying to be a priest, he thought, I can do it all. And I tell you, you need to know your place. I'm not saying that you need to... Uh, have an inferiority attitude or anything like that. We need to be honest and recognize what God has anointed us to do. But you also need to recognize that none of us are the total expression of God. You cannot be all things to all people. And you need to know what God has called you to do. You know, the guy who helped me found our Caris Bible College, he had a saying that I refer to often. And it says, if you want to uh, destroy a man's vision, give him two. Man, that's a great statement. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 this one thing I do. If you are going to really prosper, you've got to find out what God has anointed you to do, and you've got to do it. And you can't step out of the anointing that God has placed on your life and get lifted up with pride and just think that you can do anything. This is one of the things that I see happen to so many people when they have very little resources. Well, then they are dependent upon God because they don't have enough to do anything. But when they really begin to prosper, people will just think, well, now I can do whatever I want to do. And they go out and begin to start making serious mistakes because they don't maintain this dependency upon God. You need to be as dependent upon God if you have millions in your bank account as if you have $10 in your bank account. You need to be dependent upon God. You can't overstep your bounds. And see, this is what Uzziah did. So he went into the temple and he wanted to offer a sacrifice and the priest withstood him and told him, no, it doesn't pertain unto you to offer sacrifices. And he forced them, got them out of the way and he went in and offered this sacrifice to God. You know what? He was worshiping God but he wasn't doing it the right way. He was thinking, I don't have to have a priest. I can do this myself. Now, in the New Testament, we're all kings and priests, but it was different in the Old Testament. And there was a prescribed way that you had to approach God. And he got lifted up with pride and thought he'd just do it his own way. And the results of it was that the leprosy of God came up in his forehead. And when the priests saw it, they recoiled. They stepped back in fear. And when Uzziah saw what had happened to him, he ran out of his own accord and he remained a leper until the day of his death. And it goes on to say there in Second Chronicles chapter 16 that even in his old age, he was diseased in his feet, but instead of being dependent upon the Lord, he became dependent upon the physicians. And because of it, he died in agony. And he just began to do things his own way. And it was because it specifically said that when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. That's the thing. This is what the Scripture reveals. And I'd seen this in other people. And because of it, I didn't want to become a casualty of the same thing. So this is something that I had to guard against. And it's one of the fears that I had to overcome about somehow or another letting increased influence go to my head and change me. I've already used Second Samuel, but it talks about that... Uh, David was lifted up. He wasn't doing what God called him to do. And because of it, he entered into adultery and then even murdered to commit his adultery. And praise God, he repented of it. God was able to restore him. But it was pride that caused him to be lifted up. The same thing happened in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 17 about Saul. I talked about that earlier in the week. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23, it says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He hath also rejected thee from being king. And so anyway, I share all of these things. Again, this is a part of my testimony that God showed me that fear was limiting what God could do. I had a fear of failure, a fear of... You know, just the effort that it was going to take. It was laziness and stuff like that. I had a fear of people and their rejection. But then I also had a fear that if I really accomplished what God wanted me to do, that somehow or another it was going to change me. And I believe that there are a number of people that this is honestly a fear with you. You just aren't doing anything You aren't stretching yourself and you know what? You don't have to deal with pride and arrogance and you don't have to deal with these things. And so you're shooting at nothing. You hit it every time and that's one way to keep from getting lifted up. Amen. You just never have allowed yourself to reach your full potential. But I tell you, this is a fear that you have to deal with. For you to go out and accomplish what God really wants to do through you, I guarantee you it is going to mean that some honor and stuff comes towards you. Let me use this verse out of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2. And this is where uh, Eli had been honoring his sons more than he honored God. His sons were actually reprobate and they were committing adultery with the women who came to the temple and, and they would have sex with them right there in the temple. And Eli knew about it but he wouldn't do anything. He actually honored his children more than he honored God and he wouldn't put them out of the priesthood. And so because of it, uh, the Lord sent a prophet to Eli and here's a part of this prophecy in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. He says, Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever, but now the Lord saith, Be it far from me, For them that honor me, I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. And he goes on. And what basically happened was Eli lost the priesthood and his children were taken out of the priesthood even though God had prophesied that they would have it forever. And so he changed right here. This is a pivotal scripture. But the point I was wanting to make is he said, those that honor me, I will honor. And you know, at one time I just... Um, didn't think that recognizing people for what they've done, like this was specifically a friend of mine was being honored on his birthday for being in the ministry for decades and the things that he had done. And they asked me to be a part of it. And I was out walking and praying about this. And I thought, God, we aren't supposed to really honor people and stuff. You get all of the glory. And as I thought about it, the Lord reminded me of this verse and told me, those who honor me, I will honor And he began to show me like uh, Joshua. When Joshua, in the first chapter of the book of Joshua, when he was going into the promised land, the Lord said, Today I will start magnifying you in the sight of all of the people so that they will recognize that as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you also. And he just began to show me other things. And I began to see that, no, God does honor people. It's not correct to just sit there and reject all honor and to say, no, it's not me, it's not me, it's not me. Everybody knows it's not you, but you. They aren't honoring you. They're honoring what God has done in your life and the way that you have cooperated. But God honors people. And this is part of it. If you go and accomplish what God called you to do, there is going to be honor and recognition that comes your way. And God does that. You know, God is a good God. There's times that the Lord, I've been thanking Him for what He's done and the Lord has turned around and said, thank you. And I know that there's probably people saying, God had never thank a human being. Well, God honors those who honor Him. And even though I am not deserving of everything God has done, I have sought to honor Him. I have cooperated. And you know what? God honors me and He will honor you. And you're going to have to recognize that with You fulfilling God's plan for your life, there is going to be honor and recognition that will come your way and you have to deal with that and keep your heart humble. And you do that by just staying in the presence of God. You know what? God will keep you humble. God will keep things in the right perspective. If you isolate yourself and only get to reading your own press releases, then your heart can be lifted up to your own destruction. But this was one of the fears that I had to deal with. And so I've shared this with you and hopefully this has helped some of you. Maybe there are some of you that weren't even aware that with increased influence comes increased uh, potential for failure. And now you are aware of it and praise God you can guard your heart against it.